If you want to be a premier cop, then you need to learn from the premier police training company in the land. Of course, I'm talking about Street Cop Training. They've got dozens of instructors out in the field right now, sharing their expertise in narcotics, interdiction, report writing, first aid, mental health, case law, and just quality police work. And those aren't even all the topics. There's literally something for everybody. I've attended several classes myself, and I can tell you that these folks cannot miss. Dennis Benino, the owner, is doing massive things for the world of law enforcement at a time when everyone else seems to be running away from it. Street Cop Training is literally the best in the business. Check out their private Instagram and join their law enforcement-only Facebook group to get free trainings, and then check out upcoming in-person and on-demand trainings at streetcop.com. You will not be disappointed. The views and opinions expressed on the 10-8 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. They do not necessarily reflect an official policy or position. The 10-8 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. This week on the 10-8 podcast, Robert Peel is rolling in his grave with Haley Mandate. We're still making up for the missteps of the generation that came before us. I think back then that society was kind of in tow with that. Society has changed. When I became the police and somebody gave me that opportunity, I was like, well, that's it. I don't ever have to look for another job again. Can this guy answer calls? Is he going to get somebody killed? Okay, cool. We'll get him up to speed in the next, you know, before his one year is up. There's no substitution for teachers. I'm just, I'm just a hard person to deal with. That's not how this is supposed to work. first time talking to him by ourselves usually we i kind of pair him with with other people that he can uh kind of morph their brains a little bit because he's not used to interviewing people so i figured i'd do that but nope today is going to be one-on-one me and dave and we're going to just talk policing just straight on good old-fashioned police and dave how you doing good 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 and tired yeah yeah I know these uh these late nights, man. For everybody, everybody kind of gives me a little little grief about it. I had uh, Kenny Williams on a few weeks ago, and I had him stay up. So I started the interview at nine, <laughs> and he was like a special guest. So he came in at the very end of the interview, and he was like half asleep. I felt so bad. So <laughs> I took a nap though before yeah. just a, a true total transparency. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. These uh, like I said, these late nights. I I appreciate everyone kind of going along with me since I'm on day shift, this is the time it works the best. So I appreciate you. And just uh, for everybody, just so everybody's clear, it's eight 45 here in Chicago land. It's not, <laughs> it's not 11. So I did, I did take a nap at five 30. Oh, wow. Be ready. Nice. <laughs> nice. So you, you took one of those old man naps. Yeah, I did. Nice. Nice. I, I came home with the, with the expressed intent on taking a nap and I made it happen. Very nice. That's good. That's always good when you, I don't know. What do you think is the best kind of nap? Do you think it's the nap that you would plan to take or the one that like no. just creeps up on you? That's the one. That's yeah, the one. It's the one where you turn a spaghetti western on volume two yeah. and you absolutely have no intention of watching it. Right. You, you know just what's hear like happen. Uh, 
chairs breaking over people's heads and you just right to sleep. Right. You know exactly what's about to happen. That happened. Um, I put on the new Jim Gaffigan on, uh, on Netflix and it was, it started out really good, but I knew I wasn't going to last. And sure enough, I was out, (laughs) I wake up later to, you know, the computer, the TV telling me like, Hey, do you want to check out this woke stand up comedy special? I was like, no, I do not. Thank you. Jim Gaffigan's good though. I like him. He is. So anyway, for everyone that doesn't know my man Dave here, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, and uh, then we'll just kind of dive into it. Well, if you you might know me from I'm the guy who has been hawking the Hama Man podcast for ever and a day here on my Hama Man podcast page and on my Unit to Back page. I'm also the single proprietor of Unit to Back. Ben has zero to do with Unit to Back. <laughs> I know it gets confusing, but. Uh, so uh, Unit to Back, my Instagram page is a page where I create and sell, I would say, uh, designs, police police apparel or police stickers that are not traditional. Mm-hmm. So you might not even know uh, by looking at it that is a law enforcement support shirt or sticker um, because... I guess just being so late in the game, I, I got tired of wearing FOP shirts and uh, a nerve and a Punisher guy and uh, mm-hmm. or thin blue line person. So yeah, I wanted to do something a little bit different, and that's what I did. Yeah, I always whenever whenever I like uh, shout out the units of back page, I'm like it's it's police merch, but it's highly influenced by not police things and that's what makes it great it's and it's not to the point of like because relentless defender they always do like the knockoff brand you know they'll take like a fruity loop shirt and they'll they'll Mm -hmm. rework it you do it totally different you really reinvent the wheel and i always appreciated that and i have since since jump well there were the there was these other guys that i can't remember who's who's the brand that has like the helicopter oh uh uh, nine line maybe one of these brands very early on, I was like reaching out to them and saying, Hey, uh, just trying to get an idea when they were like building up, mm-hmm. uh, could even be a relentless defender and just saying like, what are you guys doing? Like, how are you scaling this? Uh, because my initial intent was to make a bunch of cool t-shirt designs and, uh, and, uh, compl- have, have an exit strategy, uh, from my law enforcement career. I also did the reason I do the designs I do is because I wanted to throw up a flag and, you know, something that only people that listen to, you know, hardcore and punk rock music and and Mm -hmm. are are skateboarding aficionados would recognize as being that. So other people look at the designs and they're like, oh, that's a cool design. have no idea that that's what it is. But I wanted to find other like-minded police officers to reinforce to myself that I was not alone out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And as we had in our previous conversation this year or this this season, I should say, uh, there are there are plenty of punk rock sure. and skateboarding police officers. Which that was that was <laughs> such a great experience. If you guys haven't heard that episode yet, uh, go back and listen to it with us in BC Standards. We're gonna team up with him again, and we're gonna do a, a part two of that. But um, tonight is a little different. Tonight is just like I said, general law enforcement conversation. Uh, Dave and I are kind of in the same mindset. Now, Dave, you have a different perspective. Uh, you've obviously been in the game way longer than I have. Um, you've seen the ebbs and flows. Uh, so how long have you been in law enforcement? So this March, I will have completed 21 years. Okay. Okay. Congratulations. Now, did yeah. you did you go from high school to start of your career? Was it law enforcement? Was it police explorers? Was it? No. I know we touched no, on this in the other episode, but. Yeah. No, I didn't do any of that. Um, in fact, 
I think I have, I, I come from a police family. My mom, both of my mom's brothers are police officers and that's it, but that's enough. Mm-hmm. And so I always looked up to them and I, that's something I knew I wanted to do, but I was like, I still got some, some running to do before I want to settle down and, and, and be the law. Mm-hmm. So, um, no, I went to broadcasting school to upset my parents, uh, because I figured if I, I be a law enforcement officer would be my fallback option. I first wanted to be Howard Stern. Mm-hmm. And if that didn't work, then I'd be a police officer. So uh, I ended up a police officer. <laughs> right. But I did a lot of, I did every kind of job you could think of. You know, I worked construction. I, I just did every, I worked, a, I, I, could, I ran a CNC machine in a, in a metal shop. Um, I worked at a paint store. I actually painted houses. So um, I heard you I got hired houses. maybe. Huh? I, I, I quoted the Irishman. I said, I heard oh, you oh. houses. I, uh, I started, I think when I was like 23 or 24 is when I, when I got hired on the police department. So uh, there were definitely some years where I was kicking around looking for anything um, that was not a legitimate career. And then I, you know, I, decided to get married and then I needed a real job with insurance. So it's time to buckle down. Okay. So, I mean, we had similar stories. I talked about this in our first episode. We talked with Ben last year um, where I said that I too went, tried to go broadcasting route at first. And then when that didn't pan out and school became kind of not an option for me, I did the same thing. I, I was uh, on a temp agency and I worked a whole bunch of side jobs. I worked at a, um, a catering company. I worked for a, Oh, what you call it? Uh, like a printing press, not a printing press, but like a print shop for like the school mm. board. So they would, all the teachers would send their worksheets and everything. And I'd have to go either oh. print them or package them or whatever and send them out. Um, you know, mindless labor and definitely not my thing. Um, okay. So you, in your time, what are some of the things that you've done in law enforcement? So um, I got, I became a, a supervisor pretty early on, like two years. At, my department is set up where the, they're the only ranks available. At that time, you, you're a patrolman, then you're a corporal, then you're a sergeant, then you're a lieutenant. Um, and then you are a commander and then you, the assistant chief in chief. Mm. So I work for a relatively small department, but early on, like I said, about two years on, I, I became a corporal and then I was a canine handler. And I did that for like almost six years. And then I had the opportunity to go out to the uh, Haida initiative where I was attached to one of the alphabet um, task forces, stayed out there for a couple of years, came back because the department, um, I took part in a testing process uh, for promotion to sergeant, even though at the time I was having the time of my life at the task force, uh, but I, like I told you, my, my uncles who were police officers were like, Hey, you know, you got to take the test. And then when the time comes, you know, you'll see what you see, but, but don't not take the test. Mm-hmm. Always put yourself in a situation where, uh, the options there for you. So, um, I did extremely well and I was then faced with this. They basically said, Hey, you know, we need, you're coming back now because we don't promote people to Sergeant. Um, and leave them at a task force because when you're a sergeant, we need you on the road supervising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, I, I think that's how most departments are. It and is. I yeah, agree. That, it's my like, experience, yeah. I, I don't need to pay a guy to be a sergeant. Now, you could be a sergeant and then for a couple of years and then go to an assignment maybe. But when you, anytime you pick up rank, you should go back to patrol. Uh, this is just the way our department was set up. 
you will go back to patrol and you will use your, you will learn how to be a supervisor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, that's what happened to me is I decided to not turn down a hard rank, which I would tell anybody that turns down a hard rank, those jobs that, you know, the details they have you on, they could take those away from you or those details can end or whatever, but a hard rank, they can't take away from you without, you know, without due process at <laughs> yeah, least. Right, right, uh, right. Or, or at least what seems like due process. But um, so anyway, I came back, I was on the road for three years as a sergeant. So back in patrol. And that summed up my 11 total years in patrol. And then I went into the detective bureau as a sergeant at my agency. And that's where I've been for the last almost seven years. Okay. So recently we've had, we got a, a new chief and uh, came from the outside and he's restructuring things. And our, our department was kind of top heavy, like a lot of uh, smaller departments are. I think, you know, when you have a smaller department, there's not a lot of options for people to do different things. They make a lot of rank to give people, hey, we, this is incentive to stay here. You know, mm -hmm. you could yeah. be a corporal, we'll give you a little bit more money. So unfortunately, there was a lot of rank and the new chief came in and said, hey, I got to do away with some of this rank and sort of like uh, figure out what we have and consolidate a little bit because I don't need a 50%, you know, 50% of our guys here are supervisors. Sure. It's a little, it gets a little, you know. So um, he decided that uh, I, there was uh, one of my, one of the guys I came on with retired this past year and took another job. And so there was an opening for uh, a sergeant spot in patrol. And I was uh, voluntold I was going to head back to patrol and uh, do the patrol supervisor thing again in the 21st, as I start my 22nd <laughs> year in law right, enforcement. Right, right. Are you going to nights or do you get a day squad? <laughs> no, straight days. Okay. Straight days. Okay. So that's a little bit better. And we're on 12s, which we were not on 12s when I left patrol. So that's something that, that our department picked up in the last uh, maybe two years. Okay. So Were you doing uh, eights? Yeah. We were doing... I think uh, five two five two five two four two schedule something like that. Oh wow! So that way you, you kicked you around to rotate days. Mm, gotcha, gotcha. So obviously you you've seen some things. You know more about policing than than I. You forgot more about policing than I know. <laughs> you know, we were talking, and what kind of spawned this conversation was we've noticed this current trend of policing is is different. I think the way I can see it is. It's almost like that. Think of like the punk rock attitude, right? You've got like the kid that's told like, Hey, you can't do this. This isn't what we're doing right now. So now I want to do it more and more and more. So it's like, now the society is like, Hey, proactive policing. Like that's not, that's not cheek right now. Well, now everyone wants to be super proactive and everything. But I think what we were talking about was, it seems like that is hurting the police image within communities. Would you say? Yeah, for sure. And why would you say that? Well, the way I look at it is, and, and I, I get a lot of guff from some of the uh, the older guys in my department and and older guys that that I that I hang around at the you know other detectives I know and whatnot because I always come back to this idea and it's not an attack on anybody, but I say like the we're still making up for the missteps of the generation that came before us, meaning my generation of law enforcement. I think you're at the, you know, in, in a, in a different era than I was. And cause you know, a lot of these departments guys get on departments that, and they never pursued from the day they got on the department. It was like, yeah, it yeah. was, that was done years ago, but that wasn't, that wasn't uh, my reality. 
And I, what I mean by that is like, you know, these guys were going around and doing the old, like, Hey, you do so. Cause I told you, and they didn't, they, they were, they were very, um, they didn't have much sympathy. They didn't have much empathy. It was like, we're just out here to get the job done. We're the police. We tell you what to do. You do it. Mm-hmm. And I think back then that society was kind of in tow with that. They were just kind of like, Hey, they're the police. So we're going to do what they say. And, um, society has changed. And so a lot of these people, yeah, they have that same mentality where the, the older, the older dinosaur police officers, I would say like my era and older or the, you know, the front of my era and older, they still are under this mindset where they'll go like, Oh, I don't get this millennial mindset. You know, these, these, these young kids today. And I think the young kids today come on the job already with the empathy and sympathy and uh, understanding that there is a need for human kindness, human kindness and compassion first. And then other stuff comes second. Like mm-hmm. we don't have to come out of the box and want to arrest the world. Like some of these guys are like, Hey, I want to really come out here and figure out what's going on and then decide whether or not to arrest people. And the old guys are like, no, you need to be, uh, people need to go to jail enough of this whole thing where you're, you're playing defense attorney all the time and you're trying to figure out, but that's what needs to happen. You need to, yeah, you need to know yeah. what, who you're arresting, why you're arresting. And if it's a, it's a valid reason, don't just arrest and then say, well, I had probable cause to do so. It won't stick anyway, but we're going to throw it at the wall and just see, see what, you know, they go to jail yeah. for today. Maybe they right. don't get, maybe they don't get convicted, but yeah, you know, you can, we you can have, beat the chart, rid of them. can't beat the ride. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And that, that's that mindset that, I just in talking to a lot of the young guys. And like I said, I I've been separated and now knowing that I'm going back and, you know, I already know the guys that, you know, the crew that I'm getting and stuff. And I reached out to these guys and uh, it's daunting because a lot of younger people um, talk about it's about, you know, who's got the best benefits, who's got the best money, who's got the best shifts, who's got the best squad cars, who's got tinted windows, who can have tattoos you know, who's got the most opportunity within the department, you know, who's got helicopters and boats and, and guys are willing to jump ship and go to those other opportunities. And a lot of people in my era, like when I became the police and somebody gave me that opportunity, I was like, well, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't ever have to look for another job again. You don't need all the bells and whistles. You're the police. I mean, you just didn't get them. You drove around the crappiest car. Mm-hmm. And I think now a lot of the, you can't get people to be police. So it's really important for administrators to keep the young people invested in the department. And unfortunately, to do that, it seems like it's a lot of, you know, gear and gadgets and the coolest new squad cars and, and you know, changing the badge color to a, a matte black rather mm-hmm. than a traditional badge color yeah. and those kind of things. You know, when I the chief was sort of um, softening me up with this, uh, me going back to patrol and he's like, hey, I'm getting you a new car. You get a slick top. And I'm like, I... I honestly don't want a new car because now any dings or any kind of, you know, it's, you could tell that I did that I did it. So mm-hmm, give me one of yeah. the oldest cars in the fleet. I, I don't want that responsibility, and I don't care what my police car looks like. You know, that's 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 not what 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 keeps me coming back. So yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that a lot of the the newer cops too. So you, I think there's two different schools of it in the in the current generation of law enforcement. The ones coming out of the academy, um, I think law enforcement generations almost is in like fives and tens. I feel like that's kind of the night, like that's when, so like basically the new school, like, so just past my generation. Um, yes, you've got 
millennial kind of in tune with their feelings and kind of in tune like hey you know i don't want to get sued that kind of thing so they're more in tune with that but then you still got the guys that are just the running guns and all that which is i say that there definitely is a place for it but it's almost to the point of like don't run before you can walk i feel like there's so many baby steps of law enforcement that kind of gets swept on the run under the rug like you said you know they're always chasing the good gear or the good cars or the cool special assignments the abcs and all that but they don't really get good at patrol work you know they don't get the 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 meat and potatoes of police work which is patrol work that, that kind of gets swept aside would you say that i hope i hope people reach back out to me because i want to say this and i want to see how many people go i agree 100 percent I think I've noticed in the last, let's say, we've had a lot of turnover at my agency for for the size of my agency in the last like ten years, and I our, our average uh, experience is 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 very low uh, years on the street mm-hmm. when you average it out in patrol, and I think the problem is is we lost so many people through that went to other our middle people. Um, we lost some people who through who retired. Then we lost a lot of our middle people who were just like, Hey, a couple of communities over, they're paying a little bit more money. They have 12 hour shifts, which we didn't have at the time. Mm-hmm. And they just said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to head over there. So we were hiring, we had to hire a bunch of people because obviously we needed to cover the schedule. We needed to replenish our people. And that led us to a point where, you know, we were doubling up on FTOing people. And it's like, it, it we went from, you know, getting a new guy once every year, every two years, every three years, we'd get one guy, we'd only need one guy to now all of a sudden we're having to get a bunch of people at once mm-hmm. or they're back to back to back and your FTOs get burnt out. And like I said, I, I work for a smaller agency and these guys are literally, you know, on these, they're finishing up with this FTO and they might actually overlap and say, Hey, on, on Thursday, you're going to start with your new guy. And then on Friday, your other guy is going to come back and you're going to finish out with him before he goes to the next phase. And I think the problem is the FTOs get burnt out and they just don't have the time to really get these guys the the, the training that, that they should get. They, mm-hmm. they So yeah. they get just enough to get like a, you know, hey, okay, cool. Let's get this. Can he pass? Can this guy answer calls? Can he, does he know his geography? Is he going to get somebody killed? okay, cool. We'll get him up to speed in the next, you know, before his one year is up. Right. You know, we'll have the Sergeant take over and the rest of the guys on his shift sort of get him up to speed. And I think there's no um, substitution for teachers. And I could tell you, I hate to ramble on here, but when I got into law enforcement, the last thing I ever thought I'd be is a teacher. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to school to be a teacher. Um, I have a very, I, I, I had little, very, uh, very little patience and I, I work on that as every year goes by with my own children and in my marriage. So just life has made me a little more patient and understanding. But, you know, when I became a corporal two years on the department, it's like, okay, well, you're not just there to uh, handle the schedule and, you know, fill out uh, leave slips when people call off sick. You have to impart some wisdom on these people and be a, a mentor and a leader. But that really wasn't what we did back then. It was just mm-hmm. sort of like, hey, I get to pick vacation before you. If we put in a, a vacation day on the same time or, a, a, you know, we pick leave on the same day, I get it before you do because I'm now a corporal and you're not a corporal. Right, right. And exactly. so those things represented something different. I really appreciate the fact now that there's this push 
um, to say that, no, no, you're not a sergeant. Isn't just a guy who goes out, shouldn't be a guy who just goes out there and manages the schedule and facilitates conversations and, you know, what needs to happen between the patrol division and the administration. But you also should be a mentor. And now I feel like going, going back to patrol at this time, um, that's going to be my focus is, is more teaching because I have nothing left to prove. And as far as I'm concerned, I did far more than I ever thought I would do, uh, when I started the job. So I'm very proud of my career already. And now I'm like, Hey, I need to be able to leave this place and, and leave the career. I want to make sure I leave it, leave the place in a better condition than how I found it. Yeah. I think the way you said it's great. That's how I always saw entering supervision. I saw it as a way I did my time. I've, I've accomplished all that I can accomplish on my own. Now it's time to impart wisdom and kind of lead the next group of officers up, whether it be 10 years up or, or whatever the, the path would have been. And the fact that you're saying that I, I agree. And I think there's a lot of guys probably more senior that, like you said, saw the Sergeant position as purely a title and purely a way to get good bids, you know, uh, whatever it might be, or, or corporal. Yeah, I'm not have... taking the accident report. I'm not going to be directing traffic. Exactly. You're going to be directing traffic. Exactly. You're exactly. transporting this guy out to jail. I'm not transporting anybody. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm not going to take this report, blah, 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 right. blah. And, and just for some comparison, I came from a very, a much larger agency, uh, kind of medium size for Florida. I now work for a smaller agency, but so that's, that's kind of my frame of reference. So we didn't have mm-hmm. corporals, my old agency we do now. Um, but corporals, they're basically, uh, if the sergeant's out, it's an acting sergeant. That's really it. Right. They just same with us. Okay. So they just kind of fall right in. But if there's enough sergeants on the road, then you're just back to the normal zone, but you're typically the most senior guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess at my old agency, if we had that, I probably would have been a corporal when I left. Um, I was the most senior guy in my squad and I was the mentor. I was the guy. And, and this was even beforehand. I was the guy that the new guys would come to because I was a friendly guy. I was knowledgeable and, you know, I would guide them. I was almost like an, their ghost phase or not ghost phase. They're like the the last year of their probation. I was like their sure. FTO without having to do any of the responsibility stuff. So, but it was nice. Cause I, I did at one point I did want to go to school for teaching, but for different political reasons, I didn't get to be an FTO. So this was nice. This was my way of like imparting knowledge, kind of taking people under my wing. And then, you know, I know the one, the first guy that I ever did this to, he became a detective in like his second year, like things really worked out very well. And it it was, it was rewarding. It was nice. So I think you're right. I think the transition for senior guys, well, I don't know when you started, were the senior guys, like I know what you said about the corporals and the sergeants, but were senior guys on squads, were they mentors or were they just like, no. Not at all. No. Right? Not at all. No, I mean, I the the idea. So we always have this joke. There were guys that like. So when I started, we we did accident reports. We had these traffic protractors, mm-hmm. it had like a template where it had like a car, and you take a pencil and you'd like so, shade it in, and that would be your car. Right. right? It was like a. Stencil. And then they had like yeah stencils, and when guys became sergeants, they would literally hand their hey, who needs a template? Meaning, I'm not. I no longer have to do this, and it really was like I'm a made man now. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be going over here. It call me if you need me and don't need me. Um, and even on a small department, um, that's my, that's my opinion. Now, some other guys may say, I don't, I don't see it that way, but, but there were guys working in it. You know, 
they they would work the grants. They would go out and, and be proactive on the grants. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, because you have to get so many things done in order to meet those requirements and be able to do the grant again uh, or those grants again. But I would say that was the one of the biggest things looking back that I feel like I I was lacking. And my personality is very brutish. And when you have people that are very like, I'm not like, not alpha, but like, I'm just, I'm just a hard person to deal with. And I think a lot of times most people aren't like that. Most people don't want confrontation. And when you have a confrontational person and even in law enforcement, you know, it doesn't just cause guys are alpha male doesn't mean they want to be, they, they don't want to deal with confrontation all the time. So right. uh, they just let things go. And when I have that personality, when people let me take a little, I took a lot mm-hmm. and I, I, I'm not ashamed to say, and to my own detriment, nobody really stopped me from the madness. So I was out there arresting people and constantly not taking calls because I was busy trying to arrest people and Mm -hmm. leaving other Mm -hmm. people stuck taking my calls. I was that guy and I had a canine, so I didn't transport. So somebody would have to come get my guy, take him out to the County. And then while they were out at the County, guess what I was doing? Looking for somebody else to arrest. And and, and you know what? I, I tell guys this all the time. Now looking back, that was for me. It's, it's, it's complete BS when guys say like, oh, well, I was arresting people keeping my community, you know, no, no, no. Yeah. That's a hundred percent a self-serving look at my stats. I arrested more people than anybody else. I wrote more tickets because really you're, and when you look at what this is about, right, Robert Peel, and you look at what he said, it's like, that's, that's not how this is supposed to work. Right. You're supposed to be, you're supposed to be felt, not seen. Mm-hmm. They don't need to see cops sprawling people out of cars and handcuffing people every t- every two blocks, lights everywhere. Yeah. If you're doing your job effectively, it should not be necessary, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I was always again. I did not like getting out of my car and hanging out at the gas stations and BSing with the, the clerks because I wanted. I was like, oh, this is this is crime time for prime time, or the other way around. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I wanted yeah, to yeah. go. I wanted to go arrest people. I didn't want to take time. So. What it did help me with was I learned how to do every all the paperwork. I learned how to be a very efficient police officer. Uh, when it came down to uh, criminal interdiction, drug interdiction, got me the guy. There was no nobody was arguing when they when they when I put the canine program together and said, "Hey, I want to be the canine guy." There was nobody saying, "Oh, this guy doesn't deserve it." But on the flip side of that, I was slow to learn about being a fair road partner. Mm-hmm. And right. uh, I had guys that were willing to sit on my toes and, and they, they didn't want to do any, they weren't out there looking to arrest people. They were happy doing that. So I got lucky. Yeah. But if I went to other crews, people were like, dude, this guy, I hate working with this guy. Right. He's always you stirring know? shit up and either we're going to clean it or we're going to have to take care of everything that, that he won't do. Yeah. So your original, back to your original question, I feel like if there was somebody should have pulled me aside and said, not today, you're not doing it. You know, today somebody else is going to make an arrest, even if they don't. And I, you know, the other guys were probably like, nah, let him do it. We're cool with it. Uh, Cause they used to look at stats as a whole shift instead of individuals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they would just say, oh, shift, you know, 1A had, you know, this many arrests, this many tickets, and they wouldn't break it down. So we would just look great as a shift. Right. And some people just would, weren't out there being very proactive. But what I think as a good, a good sergeant would have done is saying, no, this guy needs to learn that part of the job too. And he needs to understand that. In order for him to even be in contention for any of these special duties, uh, you know, special squad, special assignments, he needs to learn the basic job. And the basic job 
is not only being in your neighborhoods, doing your business checks, um, you know, doing field contacts, but it's also arresting people. So I can't have a guy that says, well, I, I'm not, I don't like to write tickets. It's not my thing. I don't, I don't care. Mm-hmm. You got to do it. Yeah. You got to know how to you, do you it. Have that, going out there and doing your, your, your one and two or whatever this, you know, whatever your department wants you to do. That's like a, a, a D, right? That's mm-hmm. the, that's saying that's the lowest standard. When they say performance standards, that's just going out there and putting in the lowest minimal you know, amount hey, of effort. I, the minimum amount, right? Because especially if you work 12 hours, if they're asking for two and one, and that's just a, a general guideline. It's like, okay, well, you still got 11 and a half hours. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't understand that mindset of people going, well, you know, they're asking a lot. I don't understand why there's this mandate. It's like, they're not really asking that much. Yeah. Yeah. They, they just Let's want their employees to, you know, work. And that's not, again, how, I don't even know how you justify to anybody who's asking how that really constitutes, you know, breaking these guys balls over, you know, mm-hmm. forcing them to be proactive or productive. Right. Right. Yeah. I had, I had a uh, lieutenant who, when, when I was brand new, brand new, probably less than six months on the job. And I, uh, I wanted radar. Cause that's what I thought all cops needed was radar. And he was like, no, he's like, you need to prove that you know how to, you know, make a traffic stop without using, using a little toy gun. So he was like, every night I want you to go out there and just, just find 10 stops. He's like, that's it. Just prove to me that you know traffic law and I will get your radar. And because of that, that's how I learned to love traffic and, and do different mm-hmm. things. And that that was the kind of guidance that that you're kind of alluding to. So, well, wait one second. So yeah. nowadays, everybody comes on the job and they have, you know, we have the LPRs in our mm-hmm. community, the mm-hmm. license plate reading cameras, and our guys are up on laptops and, and they could run plates while they're driving around and do that stuff. I, I, I that came in in the very end of me being in patrol where mm-hmm. our guys were doing that. And I just, I didn't, I didn't want to try to do, you know, type and, and drive at the same time. Cause I was like, this is just going to be a disaster. You know, I wasn't good at it. Um, but so I just basically did everything the old fashioned way. Right? I'd watched, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I went to a billion interdiction schools and I just learned, Hey, watch for anomalies, you know, just, just the same stuff they teach today. It's not any different, but I tell guys today when they're out there, you know, Hey, I got another suspended person. I got another, they, they already know, Hey, this is a suspended, a person with a suspended license. Uh, here you get arrested for that, depending on what the suspended status is. Uh, that's going to take me a half hour. I'll knock that one out. Then that's, I, then I can chill out for the rest of the day. And to me, um, I'm just like, Hey, if you want to really learn the job, go out there and shut your computer off. Do not run plates. Just try to do the job straight up observing people observing an anomalies, watching how, when people come across you, they act different than the rest of the people. Right. And I've never been to Kenny's class, but I've been to probably every other interdiction guys class ever. And, um, I guarantee he's saying the same thing, right? It's all about the amount of, of time on target, the amount of times you're walking up to cars and seeing, Oh, this is what everybody does. This is what, wait, this guy's now doing something different. That's right. the guy I'm going to focus in on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and once you see that, once you kind of, figure that out once the, the that glass gets broken it's like oh man how did i how did i miss it for so long mm-hmm. it was so obvious i remember one of the last traffic stops i was on in my old agency uh was backing up one of the new guys and he was i don't he was fiddle fucking with the tag he couldn't get the tag to come back so i was watching the driver so nothing crazy happened and the driver was giving all the signs that there was something more going on there but because when we finally got the tag figured out, it was user error on my buddy 
we had to cut the guy loose. We didn't have enough for to continue the traffic stop. And I was like, ah, oh, that was the one, and that was a good one. We gotta we gotta mm. find that one back. Um, so yeah, it's just it's the eyes thing, you know. You just you you grow to see it because he was so focused on the tag and on that violation, and he missed he missed the actual crim- probably criminal element that he he had pulled over. All right, but you brought up Robert Peel. And that is the the name of the game today. So I'm going to go ahead and pull up the Peelian principle. So anyone who doesn't know, if you're uh, kind of just a friend of law enforcement, <laughs> you're not in law enforcement, we're going to go over it real quick. So I pulled this up from the University of Washington. So this should be nice and uh, woke for us. Um, it says the Peelian principles summarize the ideas that Sir Robert Peel developed to define an ethical police force. Ethical, folks. Ethical. Is this a, a, a 2021 interpretation of it, or is this strictly his um, principles? Do you know? I don't know, actually. It says we'll fire away. Let's see. Okay. Okay. So basically, Sir Robert Peel, he put together the Metropolitan Police of London in 1829, and he basically said, these are the principles for modern policing. Stick to these, and you'll have no problem. Okay. So here's what they go. So th- there's three core ideas. These are not the principles. These are ideas. One, <clears throat> the goal is preventing crime, not catching criminals. If the police stop crime before it happens, we don't have to punish citizens or suppress their rights. What do you think with that, Dave? 100%. Okay. I'm, on, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, on, I'm on pace with that. Okay. The key to preventing crime is earning public trust. Every community member must share the responsibility of preventing crime as they were our voluntary members of the force. So basically they don't, they shouldn't want to commit crime. And then the last core idea is that the uh, police earn public support by respecting community principles. So here we go. Here are the nine policing principles. The first one to prevent crime and disorder as an alternative to their repression by military force and severity of legal punishment. So let me read that again. To prevent crime and disorder as an alternative to the repression by military force and severity of legal punishment. So what do you think about that one, Dave? So I I interpret that as we're we're preventing crime and disorder before we need the use of something like, you know, the military, a military level force or the military, or having to actually arrest somebody. So we're trying to prevent the crime and disorder before we need to go to that level, whether it be by the actual military or militaristic tactics. Yeah, that's exactly what I took from it. It says that, you know, the goal is to prevent crime and disorder. Like that's, that's the goal. It's, Mm -hmm. it's peace. It's supposed to be, you know, think of leave it to beaver, like no crime, just happy communities, happy people. And there will be no problem because otherwise the opposite is full military force. It's riots in the streets, the national guard coming out and gas bombing everybody, which we saw. That's crazy. Right. The next one to recognize always that the power of the police to fulfill their functions and duties is dependent on public approval of their existence, actions and behaviors and on their ability to secure and maintain, maintain public respect. So this is an important one, right? Because this is what people miss. It's saying, hey, you know, the, the police department is there to serve the public. That's why we have protect and serve on the car, right? That's that's our job. And you're there at the direction of the public, not specifically telling you how to do your job, but they're the ones that sort of set the tone for, you know, they say like people get the police department they deserve or people get the president mm, they deserve yeah, or yeah. whatever. In that same vein, 
it's like, Hey, you know what? Uh, you work, we work for them. Mm -hmm. So I tell, I tell young detectives this all the time when, when they come back in the detective bureau and they get frustrated over, you know, pushy victims or, you know, push, pushy people in general. It's like, yeah, that case may seem insignificant to you. And it's not as important as this other case you're working on, but to them, most important case in the world. Absolutely. And a lot of times, um, this is where people miss the boat. Somebody, whether you're a detective or a patrol officer, if you go to a call that somebody bothered to call you, clearly they're, they're upset. They call the police, right? That's not normal for most people. So you show up there and they could just say, Hey, you know, somebody knocked down my mailbox. That's a perfect example. And you're thinking you're reading the CAD comments as you pull up. You're like, really? You know, I was just about to go to lunch and I got to go to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to them, it's important because they call the police. And sometimes it's just a kind word or just saying, hey, you know, we don't have a ra- we didn't have a rash of these last night or, or recently. We'll definitely keep our eyes open and just being real with the people, mm-hmm. you know, without any evidence. Now there's ring doorbells and there's other things, but just giving somebody the peace of mind that you cared, mm-hmm. that you understood, yeah. that you empathized. Yeah. That's all they're really asking. But if you go there and you give them, they trust me, everybody, we're all people. People know right away when you don't want to be there. And when you're irritated and you're rolling your eyes, you're like, okay, can I get your name? What's your phone number? What do you want done on this? You know, do you have insurance? Whatever the questions yeah, are. Yeah. And you're like clearly preoccupied. It shows. Yeah. And absolutely. that's how you get complaints. There that's was, how you get complaints. Yeah. And that's how they don't call the next time. Or when there is right. a rash of vandalisms or something, then you go to that person's house like, hey, did you happen to see anything? Go pound sand, buddy. Like, you know what right. I mean? It's, it's right. all cyclical. I remember there was a guy in my academy. Uh, we were doing role playing, which I am not a fan of role playing in, in, you know, in the academy and everything. But whatever. We were doing it. And he had. He, he worked for the police department that I ended up getting hired by, but he was like a civilian. But he got to hear the radio. He got to interact with the officers. Mm-hmm. So he had a chip on his shoulder. This guy had zero days on the job, but he had a chip on the shoulder. And we're doing a role play. And he flat out said, he's like, I don't have time for this. In the in the scene, like whatever the, the lady mm-hmm. was complaining about, I don't have time for this. It's like, dude, that's your job. Your job <laughs> is to have time for this. And I think I think in the scene, it was probably like a, something petty. Like I said, a, a mailbox knocked over or anything. And I remember being in the academy and going, dude, why, you know, why would you be so jaded? Why, why you got a chip on your shoulder? But then I became that guy. I became the guy that was like, why am I wasting my time on this call? And I think it's so easy for us to get jaded by it and, and kind of lose the whole point. And I try to preach on here. And I, I, you know, when I really think about it, I try to think about it. Like nobody calls the police because they're having a good day. No one calls the police and says, Hey, can you stop by? Well, I guess last year with the, with the COVID birthday parties that came by. But for the most part, no one says, Hey, can you come by? We're having a great day. We're having a barbecue. We want you to have a hot dog. They're calling you because something terrible happened or at least terrible in their eyes. It could be something tiny. It costs you $0 to go there and give them quality customer service. If that means, you know, showing some empathy, showing some something, you know, giving them something to be like, Hey, you know what? I know this is not a big deal, but to him, he made it sound like it was significant. You know, I didn't feel like an idiot for calling him. Right. That, I mean, I think that will pay wonders. And, and like I said before, the next time you go to that person's house or you need something for that person, they're going to remember that. You know, I never got the opportunity to be an FTO because when I was young in my career, before I took on all these other responsibilities, like I said, I, I was just, I was shot out of a cannon and they were just like, Hey, 
this guy, we just don't need this. Another one of this, mm-hmm. you know, this, this guy, we, we don't need him encouraging other people to be, to, to be this way. Uh, but I would tell guys, if there's one thing I regret, it's not taking more pictures and not, not journaling or, or writing down all the, cause I'm a story person. Mm-hmm. And I, t- I tell guys that drive around in their squad cars and, 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 and are afraid to, to be the police or uninterested in being the police, the, the real way and just, you know, like the paycheck and, and like the fact that their job will always be there. I'm like, man, if, you know, you get to the 20 year mark, the 10 year mark and you've got no stories to tell. Yeah. Uh, that's a pretty, what are you doing this for? Cause to me, if I didn't have the story. So when you go and you deal with that, that person who thinks, you know, it, it, it's the end of the world because some kid drew a, a chalk penis on their driveway. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, my thing is, is you go there, you, if you, you show empathy and understanding, and then it's a great story to tell somebody yeah, like yeah. you would believe how angry this guy was. Cause somebody, and it was a pretty good looking wiener. I mean, <laughs> you know, all things aside, right. uh, and quite, you take a picture for Evan. Yeah. You take a picture because you tell the guy, Hey, I'm going to need this for evidence to compare to any other wiener drawings we see. <laughs> and you're, you know, your shift partners in, in the background of the picture pointing at the, you know, and, and the guy, every, everybody gets something out of it. When I was a little kid, I kind of had this problem and it's not even that big of a deal. Something like 8% of kids do it, but whatever. It's for some reason, I don't know why, just kind of sit around all day and draw pictures of dicks. What? Draw pictures of dicks. Dicks? Like a man dick? Yeah, like a man dick. Right. You can have fun on the job and still be respectful. And you know what I mean? And, and still accomplish everything. Yeah. But without the stories, I, I, I don't think this job would be worth it at all. You could pay me any amount of money in the world, but to just drive around in your squad car and not experience what this job has to offer and all the craziness, what a waste. Absolutely. I, I used to love coming home from work and my nieces and nephews, they always wanted a story and I would always give them like a funny one from the day or whatever. And for me, it was like, it was me at Carnegie hall. Like I was, it was my standard routine. And I, I just had, I, I too like stories and I like telling them and I just had a great time. And there was always a story. I mean, even if it was small, even if it was just something my buddy did at a gas station, like it was, it was a good time. I, so when, when the first time I did the podcast with you and me and Ben were on the podcast and right away, you're like, tell me a story. Uh-huh. And I, I was like, man, I kicked myself. Cause this is a good one. I had a guy that I had arrested for drinking and driving one, like a, fr- on a Friday, I saw him again. I got him again the next week. And the guy was like, you know, same scenario. We're doing field sobriety tests. And I tell the guy, Hey, unfortunately, Hey man, you're really close. Mm -hmm. You did pretty good, but we're going to need you to take you back there. And we're going to get this official test. And you know, if everything goes your way, you're, you're, you're back out on all that. And the guy starts grunting. And then he's like, well, I can't go to jail because you, I I poop my pants. And the guy, the guy forced himself to poop his pants. Uh And he said, well, you can't put me in the squad in your squad car. I said, you're right. I have a dog. I'll be putting you in that guy's squad car. And, uh, we still went to, he still, we still did the same process because unfortunately, uh, you can poop in your pants, but you still can't, you can't, you can poop in your pants, but you can't drink and drive a poop in your pants. (laughs) That's good. That's good. Oh man. Um, I just had Brad Gilmore on and and poop just kept coming up. I don't know what it is. It It just keeps coming up. Um, yeah, I had one. We, so my area was very big, uh, you know, Florida beach town, very big for spring break. So we had spring break and with spring break comes underage drinking. 
And there was this chick, she had to be 18 or 19, very, very young and very obviously not 21. And so in Florida, we have a thing called the Marchman Act. Basically, if you drink too much, you don't really commit a crime, but you drink too much, you can't really take care of yourself and there's no responsible adult to take care of you. You get in protective custody. You either go to the drunk tank or the jail or whatever, and you sober up and you'll be out the next morning. Well, she was taken into custody under the uh, under the Marchman Act. And I load her at this time I was working the transport unit. So I had a big van. So she gets in the big van and we're doing bar clothes. So we're getting all the bar fights. They're going in the, in the, in the van, take her out to the County. <clears throat> and she finally comes out and she's like, I can't come out. I was like, why can't you come out? She goes, I pooped in here. And I was like, all right, well, you, you got to come out. <laughs> um, no one's going to be caring that you pooped. And then she was, I mean, she was 18, 19. She was, not she didn't do it maliciously like my guy no not at all not at all (laughs) but you know she was shy and everything about it and she was not unattractive you know what i mean and i get her out there and of course all the freaking dirty bar rats that i just took in before her they were all looking her up and down i felt so bad for her and then she tried to she tried one last ditch effort to not go into the drunk tank and she's like i'm actually underage i'm like nah nah i got tried right here nice try though (laughs) um it was just, it was so terrible. So terrible. But see, mm. there's stories and, and we could do an entire right. podcast of just stories, right. but. And you empathized, but unfortunately the law is the law. Right, right. right? Listen, yeah. <laughs> I was like, if I could have found you a ride, you would not be here right now, but you, you know, you were a lost puppy and, and right. you know, got to go and get in the kennel. So absolutely. If, if you're listening, if you're brand new, just keep track of your stories. They're absolutely amazing. <laughs> I mean, that was from what, seven years ago. And I still remember that story. Mm. All right. Um, number three, uh, principle of policing to recognize always that to secure and maintain the respect and approval of the public means always the securing of the willing cooperation of the public in the tasks of securing observance of the laws. So basically you want people to follow the law, not because they have to, but because they want to. Right. That's that's how I right. take that. Yeah. Basically, you know, not not for fear of punishment, but because, hey, life is a whole lot better if I don't break the law. Now, I think a lot of it, unfortunately, with that one, probably, um, I mean, if you got a politician that's rewriting the laws and now suddenly something is not, you know, then it's like, well, why, why not do that? So that part, I mean, that's not on us, unfortunately. That's not on the police. Well... I, I, the only, the only time I would, I would beg to differ in the, the circumstance where police officers sometimes feel that they're above the law mm-hmm. and other people. So like a lot of the social media, like every community has their social media, probably every police department has their social media and uh, every, then every neighborhood has their social media and nothing worse than when people, when, when a police officer gets in trouble or is acting in a certain way and it's just shared there for everybody to see. And so you can't ask other people to follow the law uh, when you're not following the law yourself. Yeah. So uh, be mindful of the fact, especially with cameras and social media and everything like that. I mean, we're, con- we're, we're already held to a high enough standard, but now, like I said, there's always somebody watching always. and I'm not saying don't do it because somebody's watching. I'm saying don't do it. Yeah, because yeah. you can't, we we're asking other, we're asking other people to live by these rules. What makes you think you shouldn't have to? Yeah. And I know and, a lot of people roll your eyes at that, but let's be honest. I mean, how's that fair? That doesn't make any mm-hmm, sense. You want to yeah. know why people don't like the cops 
it's because of this, right? Yeah. You get to do whatever you want. You get to drive like an idiot. You get to, you know, drink, do whatever. And then when I do it, like you end up at the same bar with somebody you DUI'd. Yeah. And that yeah. guy's looking at you like, Hey, you got a ride tonight or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that, know, that's a great, that great happens. Point. Yeah, for sure. I know one time again, I was in training. Um, I was driving into work. I didn't have tenant windows on my personal car at the time. I had my uniform hanging in the back window. Um, these are all rookie mistakes, but it, it ties into the story. And I'm driving down, uh, down the street. I had like a bag of French fries. I was trying to eat and drive at the same time. I think I was playing with the radio or whatever i'm at a red light and i look and the lady next to me is filming me she's taking pictures <laughs> i was like i was like can i help you she goes well what would your supervision think if if they saw you driving around and and playing on your on your radio and and eating food i'm like and she you know she referenced the shirt in my back window i was like well i'm, right. I'm sure they probably wouldn't be very happy she's like well what do you think if i told them i was like i'd really prefer if you didn't actually <laughs> yeah, right and then you know the next turn off i take off and i go get to work and of course the supervisor sitting there goes so you like eating french fries while driving huh i'm like oh my <laughs> god and this lady i mean she had she ended up squashing it but something so minor right. like you know but technically yeah i mean would I have ever? But is pulled- it? Did did she get pulled over before while looking at her phone or while? She probably you know what I mean? Did. And it's like okay, and that's and that's what she told about- my supervisor. She said she said that um she didn't think it was fair that I can write a ticket for that and still do it. So she probably had you know some chip on her shoulder from something mm-hmm. she had previously. And then the way my supervisor squashed it because she saw the pictures and the videos that the lady took, she goes, you know, <laughs> you're having a problem with my officer being distracted while driving, but you're literally filming him while you're driving. So. Right two wrongs and a right here so yeah you're absolutely right right. we need to make sure that we observe the law that we are upholding including minor minor traffic defenses also stay out of your own community that too right (laughs) go go to another community all together talk about rookie mistakes yeah yeah for sure um absolutely even like i remember when i turned 20 something um we went to we went to a bar for my birthday actually we went to a bunch of bars and we made sure not to do it anywhere in our area code just in case mm-hmm. just in case so that's that number four to recognize always that the extent to which the cooperation of the public can be secured diminishes proportionately the necessity to use physical force and compulsion for achieving police objectives so I'll, I'll reread that because there's a lot of big words here. And I know my, my listenership, they may not understand them all. <laughs> to recognize always that the extent to which the cooperation of the public can be secured diminishes proportionately, which means like, Dave, you're smarter than me. What does proportionally mean? Uh, by proportion and proportion like okay. by size. Yeah. The necessity of the use of physical force and compulsion for achieving police objectives. Go ahead. Yeah, so you you want to be able to control the situation without having to to, you know, with a soft hand. You know, you don't want to. You you should be able to finesse the situation without. You know, there's no need to go in heavy handed. Right. And I'm not even talking about physically heavy handed. Right. You don't have so to metaphorically. Come up, right. Like you said when we when we started, like, hey, shut up, I'm the police. No, don't. I hated that. There was again bar district and things like that. I would see videos of my agency on, you know, the, whatever the neighborhood social media, Facebook live would be. And there's bar fights and you just see one of my officers or one of the officers I worked with running up on someone, getting in their face, screaming at him, you're going to sit down. Cause I told you to, Oh dude, there's nothing cringier well, in the world than that. 
Well, a lot of this one is basically saying you you want them on your side. You want them to Correct. understand that hey, here's how here's why we have these laws. We obey the laws. We expect you to obey the laws. And if everybody's on that same page and everybody understands why, uh, there's going to be those outliers always. But most people will fall in line when they understand and respect why we're doing what we do and and everybody's held to that standard. Yeah, I agree completely. All right. This next one is probably the longest one. It says to seek and preserve public favor, not by pandering to public opinion, but by constantly demonstrating absolute impartial service to law in complete independence of policy and without regard to the justice or injustice of the substance of individual laws by ready offering of individual service and friendship to all members of the public without regard to their wealth or social standing by ready exercise of courtesy and friendly general, I'm sorry, and friendly good humor and by ready offering of individual sacrifices in protecting the and preserving life. That was the first police chief I ever had said this one phrase that I will take with me forever. And it's do the right thing for the right reasons. Mm Mm-hmm. That's where you'll, you'll never go wrong. And that's what this means. Yeah. Truncated. You, you do, you do the job straight up. You don't, you know, you, you don't do any, there's no, there's no favors. It is, it is what it is. Yeah. You do the job the right way for the right reasons and you're going to be fine. Yeah. It's when you start, it's when you start giving favor and when you start going, well, you know, there's this caveat to this and I understand everything's not black and white, but what this is saying is, is like, if the job has to be done, it has to be done. And your word is your bond, honor and integrity before all else. Right, right. And it's saying that even in independence of policy, like so not because you're forced to do it by policy, but because that's what's right. So you're going to see. And really the policy should should be, you know, on the, it's parallel to. Sure, it's going to be know. a guideline, absolutely. But the idea right. is that like you should want to do it anyway, not just because it's your policy, just be, not because you're mandated to do mm-hmm. it. Um, and that's, you know, the, the line that gets me is not by pandering to public opinion. So whatever the case may be, as long as you show that you are being impartial to the services of law and you're not pandering to the public opinion, you are just literally, Hey, I'm doing my job and I'm doing it to the letter of the law. There's going to be no problems. But if you see that, he didn't live in a litigious society either. That's that's also true. Robert yeah. Peel was from a different generation that's and true. era. So this, I don't know that this stands the test of time when you look at it as a whole. When you but think of the that, concept yeah. is there. Yeah. Um, this next one's going to be physical force related. To use physical force only when the exercise of persuasion, advice, and warning is found to be insufficient to obtain public cooperation to an extent necessary to secure observance of the law or to restore order, and to use only minimum degree of physical force, which is necessary on particular on any particular occasion for achieving a police objective. Basically, so this is where the old school uh, force continuum came uh-huh. from, right? So you'd use the, just the amount of force necessary to affect an arrest or to gain control over a situation. Yeah. And simple. Yeah. And it talks about, you know, basically ask till make, like, I'm going to ask you use persuasion. I'm going to give you advice like, Hey, do this or bad things are going to happen. I'll give you a warning. And then, you know, sometimes it it has to go. And even ask till make can, even if you're not talking physical force, I think you can say that like, Hey, it's like an if, and then statement like, Hey, if you speed, then you're going to get a ticket. Like that's just how it is. Um, so yeah, that's 
black and white. The use of forest continuum has kind of morphed a lot, especially in recent years. But it's the we same don't even way. have one anymore. No, I don't even know what ours is. It, I mean, we have we have guidelines. The I think the Florida right. state statute has guidelines as far as what to do with the use of force. And, you know, we another another fallacy of, I think, police work and everything is that everyone thinks that police use of force is one for one. And it's not. We're always by law allowed to go one up. But keep that in mind. Right. It's one up. It's not five up. So you can't have someone at passive resistance and then you're billy clubbing them across the face like that's yeah i was a i was a defensive tactics instructor for many years and that was one of the big things where guys would say like well you know what what if what if this happens or what if that happens i can only go this step and it's like you you'd go to where you need to go in order to make sure you're safe and you can do your job effectively and efficiently without going over you know overboard and if somebody, you know, one of the biggest roadblocks was like, well, what if somebody has gotten my gun or what if, you know, the tables are turned and, and, and I can't get to my gun? Well, you could pick up that brick that's next to you and use that. Well, I mean, there's nothing in the policy that I, I wasn't trained on a brick, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. And and that's where it comes down to like, look, you could, you could this is life or death. Yeah. And so I know in uh, both you could of, justify that kind of stuff. Yeah. And all the use of policies that I've had to fall under, it's always also said in in that light. Um, improvised and impromptu weapons. Like sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes you got to take a brick to the face. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I've never been in that situation, but I'm saying right. in that, in that what if situation. All right. The next one is going to be to maintain at all times, a relationship with the public that gives reality to the historic tradition that the police are the public and that the public are the police, the police being only members of the public who are paid to give full-time attention to duties, which are incumbent on every citizen in the interest of community welfare and existence, which is basically what we were saying in the very beginning is that first off, we, the idea of a positive interaction with the police is that people are going to want to voluntarily cooperate with adherence to the law. Well, this is a very controversial opinion, I guarantee, uh, and one that I I'd always didn't have. I was very, I never liked to do national night out when I was a young mm-hmm. officer or, you know, go to the, um, you, you know, do the tour of the PD for the Boy Scouts. I was just like, oh, you know, let somebody else do that. I, I have uh, bad guys to take to jail. Uh-huh. But I will tell you, uh, the last chief we had was very big on community relations and it we were one of those departments that like in the thick of it, when, when everything was crazy, we're still to this day being fed three times a week, Mm -hmm. you know, people bringing pizza, popcorn, um, you know, you, you name it. Our, our Facebook page, if you came on there to, to knock the police, it ain't going to happen. I mean, our community rallies around us. We've done a really good job. Our, our department and a lot of our neighbor, our area uh, of just having a, a complete, integration between law enforcement, the parades and all that stuff. Um, and so now I realize how important that is. And again, uh, this is a, a analogy I made recently to one of the young guys. I was like, you, you know, if you say I'm the gun guy or I'm the drug guy or I'm that's great and dandy, but what we need, that, that'd be like saying, you know, in the American league, we could have a guy that just bats real well, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden you're in a system where you, you it's, without your control, you get traded to a national league team and now you need to field well too. Yeah. We can't have a guy that just bats. Well, we, I, I would rather have a versatile player that could play, you know, I could say, I need you on third this inning and I need you in right field. 
Um, it's great to have the, the, the one trick pony, Yeah, but we don't work in a one trick pony business, right? You need utility. Uh, that's a, a selfish person is, is the one trick pony guy, mm-hmm. you know, go to a task force or work a grant and do that one trick pony shit on grant time. Right. You know, right. when that grant is for that one trick. Yep. So, yeah, I, I always felt that I was the utility knife, you know, that I could do mm-hmm. a little bit of everything. And I've, I've had supervisors tell me that I was just that, like, Hey, I can work traffic. I can work dope. I can do investigation. I can do this and this. And I've had, I had multiple off, or officers and supervisors go, we need more people like you. And it's just, I don't know. I don't know if it's a humility thing where I, you know, I, I actually posed this question on my, on my Instagram a long time ago. If it's better to be a jack of all trades or a master of one. And and you just summed it up. It, you, it's so much more important to be that jack of all trade and ha- kind of have your hand in most many pots. And you can have one that you're like better at, but it's good to know a little bit of everything because you never know what's right. going to be necessary. And not right. only that, and the reason I became that way is because it's job security. Like, hey, if mm-hmm. I'm good at all these different things, it's going to be hard for well, them to get rid of me. This is something that I, I learned the hard way too. It's like you could like being the drug interdiction guy. But at the end of the day, we're all, you know, whether you're a detective or whether you're an SRO or, you know, a canine guy, you're, we're all police officers. So at any given time, the chief or the administration or whatever, things could change and they could say, yeah, you're out, you're outside of that, that thing you like to do before. We don't have time to do that right now because of manpower. I need you to do this. Mm -hmm. And you can kick and scream and cry and whine all you want it doesn't change the fact that you got to go do this. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying you shouldn't have, if there's something that you like to do, do that, but you got to do this first. Mm -hmm. You got to get your business checks done and make sure your community is safe before you go out and play. Yeah. I didn't always do that. So I'm telling you that, but now as you know, being this far into my career and being around this long, I'm like, man, I, somebody, somebody should have put their foot in my ass. Right. Now, now you, now you're bestowing that wisdom onto the younger guys. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And as far as community policing goes, I know it gets a bad rap, especially in the uh, in the goon circles, as, as they're they're talking about in social media. But in all honesty, I think community policing is so important. Uh, like you said, you know, with, with your agency, it, even in our darkest times in the past few years, it never the support never wavered for the police department, which is amazing. Um, when I spoke to Grady Judd last year, he said <clears throat> that he had a deputy um I think he was driving around his neighborhood. He saw some old guy with a walker trying to mow his lawn who just couldn't do it within like five minutes. The deputy mowed the entire lawn. Like it was, it was nothing. It was like a postage stamp. Mm. And now the way Grady Judd sees it is, well, the next time that we have people throwing rocks at our deputies, it's not going to be that guy's family, you know, and, and, and right. just that ripple effect from it. And that's how I see it too, is that, and I said it before, if you kindness, you know, pay it forward then that's, I mean, you know, it, it's great when it's at a Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru or whatever it may be, but it's even better when it's person on person. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my two cents on the matter. Let's go to the next Pelian principle, which is to recognize always the need for strict adherence to police executive functions and to refrain from even seeming to usurp the powers of the judiciary of avenging individuals or the state end of authoritatively judging guilt and punishing the guilty. So this is the fact that we are not judge, jury, and executioner. We are merely law enforcement to bring the person to those parties. It's it's easy to take stuff very personal, uh, especially as a young officer. 
and everything is just a, a front against you. You know, you're out there and you're like, you're, it's very finite. I'm a good guy and you're a bad guy and we should not mesh. But I think like, you know, when I was at the task force and being a detective and working tack at my department, and when you start working and cultivating informants and tipsters and things like that, uh, you realize, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately you spend time with these people and you realize, yeah, they're people. Mm-hmm. And so that it starts to humanize to you. Uh, like I said, when I stopped working narcotics, I was like, man, I do not like working informants for long extended periods of time because I just feel like you don't understand. And some people say, Hey, that's what they get. But you, you are literally dismantling this person's entire life, everything around them. And yes, they put themselves in that situation. But again, the humanity, when you're done with them and say your prosecutor's like, okay, they're off the hook. We're going to give them um, some diversion. And because they were able to produce this, this, and this, you just walk away from that guy. And he's like, mm-hmm. I've literally alienated myself from every person I know. Right. My entire network is gone. And again, you could justify in your mind and go, well, I'm keep good. Cause you shouldn't be around those people anyway, but it, it, we're all people. Nobody's right, right, perfect. Right. And uh, if you, if you don't learn empathy from dealing with informants for a long period of time, I, I don't know. I don't think you could ever. Yeah. And I think I, I only worked with informants a little bit, um, but it was tough. I mean, I was, I was like hurting cats on without Ritalin. Like it was just, it was a mess. <laughs> I, you know, you, you try to set a time up to meet the informant, but he's on crackhead time and he's not going to be there until next Thursday. It's just, it's insane. I, I had one guy, uh, one of my first major informants that uh, I actually ended up liking the guy. Like I, I didn't have a personal friendship with him, but I literally was like, you know, the guy would call me up and, and, and talk to me about what was going on in his personal life. Yeah. And I'd see, I'd catch myself listening to this guy and I'd be like, man, I'd give him some, you know, some advice. Hey, if it were me, this is how I would do it. He's <laughs> right. like, Hey, you know, you're a guy who's married and has a mortgage and you've got your life squared away. What do you think I should do in this situation? <laughs> you know, um, his kid was messing up. What do you think I should say to him? How should I, you know, and it's weird because I'm like giving this guy life advice, but right. again, we're all people. Mm-hmm. And if you, once you lose, if you lose sight of that, then you need to leave that. That's it's time to walk away. Yeah. Sure. I remember my first informant and I, so I had, I, and in my unit, I was the first one to get an informant to flip one. And he didn't, he didn't pan out too well. The first, uh, first time we were going to work an op, he, he flaked on me and he ended up getting a warrant whatever. Months later, actually, probably a year later, I lost track of him. He, he, you know, ditched his phone or whatever. He got arrested. He did some time. Came out. Okay, just forget that. Remember that that exists. Um, working <laughs> something totally different in the city, totally different area of the city, and it was a, it was a domestic disturbance in the parking lot of a shopping mall. And they, someone said, "Oh, they came from the subway." I said, "Great." So I go in the subway. I poke my head in, and I go, and I. This is during COVID, so everyone's got their mask on. And uh, it's like, hey, did this couple come in and, uh, you know, were they fighting, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, no, we didn't see it. And I, I look at the one guy making a sandwich. And I'm like, I'll be I'll be back. And I go, I handle business. I go back. And I go, hey, is this, uh, are you Robbie? And he's like, damn it, I didn't want you to recognize me. I was so embarrassed, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. I was like, no, man, that's great. You're up here. You're making sandwiches. Like, you're not a crackhead anymore. You're not selling drugs. And, like, I gave him a dap. I didn't tell his coworker where I knew him from. Right. And that was it. And yeah, you're right. You start feeling empathetic. Like 
I felt so happy that the guy that flaked on me to buy some drugs mm-hmm. was now working an honest job at Subway. Like that was mm-hmm. a good feeling. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So exactly what you're saying with that. All right. The last Peelian principle to recognize always that the test of police efficiency is the absence of crime and disorder, not the visible evidence of police action in dealing with them. And that's what we said going into this. And it ties into actually a conversation I had last week. If you don't see people being arrested, that's a good sign. As long as there's no crime. Like if you don't see people being arrested and there's still people dealing drugs or people breaking into stuff, that's a problem. That's an effective police work and probably ineffective judicial system. But if if you live in a nice neighborhood, that means the police are probably doing a good job. Well, that's the weirdest dichotomy ever because you'll see administrators or supervisors saying, hey, I want, you know, this main drag. I want it blown up tonight. Yeah, I want to see yeah. lights everywhere. And it's like, you do? You know, yep. are you sure? Because what is that? That, that just... Because people in the community are like, I just want to go to the store, and every five, you know, every five feet, there's another guy getting pulled out of a car, yeah. and the, the cops are blowing up, you know, traffic everywhere. And unfortunately, probably half those people are people who live in your community, or like literally just trying to run to the, you know, I was going to say the video store that shows me. <laughs> one one thing I wanted to tell you, the other, I was listening to an episode, and I want to say it was maybe the, is it Chris Matakis? Yes, Matakis. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and you guys were talking about it. I don't remember if it was you or him, but. Somebody said, and I've ever since I heard you guys say it, I've sort of like, uh, you know, imprinted this on my brain. And I, I tell my guys this there, we would need this like win Pol- policing and especially with young guys, it's, it's win or lose. Mm-hmm. And if they, if they don't catch you in a pursuit, they lost. And if, you know, they don't put you in handcuffs, they lost or, you know, the bad guy wins, we lose. And it's like, there's so many things in between winning and losing. <laughs> you, you, you didn't lose because the bad guy got away and didn't reckon to a, a civilian, a 16 year old who just got his driver's license, who again is just driving to the video store yeah, and yeah. gets hit because you were chasing this bad guy. So that's a win. And, you know, th- there's so many degrees, in it, but it's so finite with young officers mm-hmm. and their ego and their pride and other guys and that, that whole pure attitude of like, Oh, you call, you know, you didn't catch that guy or nobody. When I was coming up, nobody called off their own pursuits. Nobody, Mm -hmm. you, especially around here, you would chase somebody to the end of the earth. Oh, because if you went back to your station, they're like, well, what happened? You're like, ah, it got a little dangerous. So I decided for the betterment of society, I was going (laughs) to, I was going to nut this and call it a day. They'd be like, you did what? Uh So you got scared and didn't want to catch the bad guy. That's how it was interpreted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think guys need to understand with, you know, what's at stake here. And if you can, if you already know, it's, it's, you know, Joe shit, the rag man from town and he ran and you already know where he lives. It's like, I don't need to chase him. I'll just file on him yeah, or I'll go yeah. pick him up. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I don't need to catch him right now. I can still win or, you know, I could use LPRs. I can, I can, there's all these other technologies out there that can help me identify the guy. Uh, if he got away. Yeah. There's, and yeah. Uh, one other thing is a, a, a guy that, um, I guess as a young officer, I he was, he was worked for the sheriff's department. He was a, an old time guy who I thought was probably 20 years past his prime before he was even close to being 20 years past his prime, just a bigger guy, you know, like six to 300 pounds, just loved to laugh. And didn't really, it didn't seem to me like he loved to be very proactive. 
And one day when I was a young police officer, I, I had come to my dad's uh, business where this guy was sort of hanging. He would hang around and BS with my dad. And I was telling him the story. Yeah, you know, I had this thing and this guy got away from me and I was I was kicking myself. I was so pissed. And he said, don't worry. He'll be a bad guy tomorrow, too. Yeah, you know, he'll be yeah. a bad guy again. He'll break the law tomorrow. And I was like, OK, guy, but you know what? Uh, that's a terrible attitude. That's a lazy man's attitude to say, don't worry about, you know, go until the doors fall off today. Tomorrow you'll catch him. And until I got older in my career, I didn't understand. And now the way I interpret this is, is this. There'll be a scenario where you got this guy dead to rights and he can't, you, you, you got him cornered in and it, it is, it's, it's safe and it's efficient. And it's, it's the, it's the scenario you dreamed of. That's just the best for everybody around. And on that day is when you, you take the guy, but all, you know, the, the whole thing of just, I don't care. I have blinders on it's me and this guy, uh, you know, the, the, the scene with De Niro and Pacino and heat. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's that shit's for the movies. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know. Yeah. I, um, I had a, I had a situation where I pulled over a guy on a, on a dirt bike and I was on foot and I, I give him a, a ticket or a warning, probably a, a warning. And uh, I'm like, all right, man, have a nice day. And I go and I walk away and he takes off and he does a wheelie right after we, we bring mm-hmm. contact and there's <laughs> like, happen. yeah. And there's, there's just bars next to me and everyone's looking at it and they're like, Oh, he got you. He got you. And for a split second, right. I was, I was that guy. I was pissed. I was like, let me get, Give me some wheels. I'm chasing this guy. Fuck him. And then rational came in. I was like, wait a second. I just gave him a piece of paper. I have all of his information. I'm going to, I'm going right. to mail him this ticket. And I did. And that was, that was my win. Like, again, we make things personal that don't need to be personal, but. Well, you know, especially in that scenario, chase is on that guy is, is splattered on the road. Right. You know, yeah. Uh, a mile ahead because he's running a hundred miles an hour on a dirt bike. Yeah. In, in a busy city. And right. You know, and at the end of the day, when that when he took that ticket to trial, that that wheelie ticket to trial, which in Florida is a thousand dollar ticket, four digits, and Ooh. yeah, yeah, don't do that. Um, <laughs> his 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 attorney was like, "Hey, listen, can we?" I mean, he was young; he was probably early twenties. He's like, "Can we can we cut him a break?" I was like, "Absolutely." I was like, "But he needs to know that he can't just disrespect the police just because he wants to, whatever." So I didn't I didn't make him pay the thousand dollar fine. We agreed on something significantly lower with some community service, and that's it. So while yes, there was a, a an ego thing because I was like, oh, he got me. You break it down. It's not it's not that big of a deal. Because guess what? I don't get paid per conviction. I don't get paid per you know upheld tickets, and that was it for me. You know, it's a, a weird concept. I've always told I I love a good bad guy. So. I've always been like, hey, I, I, I've always been looking for my, uh, whether it be day to day, I'm always looking for my Hans Gruber. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't care about arresting the guy that everybody in town arrests every week. It's like, this right. is the same guy. We know this guy's always holding dope. We know, you know, and he's going through the system and he's got 10 cases backed up. And finally, when they go to court, what's going to happen? The prosecutor's going to say, well, he'll plead guilty to one of those. Everybody wins. You know, he gets drug court or whatever. And how much time was taken away from your community messing with that guy. Yeah. So I want to look for the, like look for the real bad, the leg, a legitimate bad guy. Now you're, they're few and far between, but that's, that's always something. Again, once I started working long-term cases and I had that opportunity of the task force, I, that's what hooked me. Sure. In. Yeah. And that's where my passion. And, was. and when I was working dope cases, that was the same thing. Like we had our target, you know, he wasn't the, he wasn't the dope runner. We had our target. And when we got to finally see him in cuffs, going into the paddy wagon, it was like, ah, 
we we got this guy. I remember I I was only on the narcotics narcotics unit for a short time, and I made I had one search warrant that I studied. You know, I carried from complaint to to arrest, and because of the way prosecution was, the guy walked on the charges, and I was so pissed and everything. I and ultimately is what got me off the unit, but not not in like a discipline thing. I was like, screw this, and right. I was done with it. Um, but yeah, same thing. Like I always like saying, like, oh, this is this is our kingpin. This is our this is our bad guy, and, mm-hmm. and that's where I would put my mind to it. Um, there was another thing I wanted to say to you when you said about like not wanting to arrest the same drug dealer on the same corner, or whatever. Right. To go back to the last Pelian principle is because this this caused quite the kerfuffle. Like that word, quite the kerfuffle <laughs> yes, on my, <laughs> on my on my Instagram when I posted a meme where I said that if you arrest the same guy at the same place at the same time all the time that means your tactics aren't working and oh my god right you you could uh, it was terrible it was it was spicy in my in my uh comments and dms about it saying <laughs> that you know no it's the it's the judicial system blah, blah, blah. and i'm 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 not saying you're wrong like the judicial system is a problem we all know that but it's always been a problem people have always walked on that's charges. the system we have to work right in. so what i'm saying figure it out man. and the point of the meme that i made was why does that drug dealer feel comfortable always going back to that corner? That means that like Robert Peel said that you're not complete. You're not doing your job. You're not completing the, the last Peelian principle. The test of police efficiency is the absence of crime. Well, obviously it's still there. So you're not efficient. That's literally what I was saying. So I just wanted to get that out there in, in uh bold italicized, say it, that's what I was saying. You're not a fit. Well, but here's the thing. Like you're saying, if you keep arresting this guy for holding dope and he's in the same place all the time, then maybe arresting the guy isn't the answer. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Maybe saying to this guy, look, bro, uh, you, how much time and effort and how much, how much time of your life has been wasted in jail and going to court? I know you're stupid. You're going to show up here with dope. You know, when I come here, you're going to jail for it. And it's just like a round Robin. Let's work something out here. You know, let's figure out what we could do to avoid me having to waste my time and you having to waste well, your time. That's, that's, and, uh, that's where you start telling him, yeah. Hey, go to the next town over. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you put him in the car and you know, like, Hey, so have, you have obviously you... haven't been over to this sandwich shop yet. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. They, they've got, it's uh, that reminds me of the scene from, uh, Southland, totally different scenario where he's like, have you tried the fish? The fish is great right here. (laughs) So, um, so those are the peeling principles. I think we kind of really nailed them home, kind of explained it to people. Um, Cause I think if people, if the title of the episode, if Robert Peel had seen what's going on right now, he'd be rolling in his grave. (laughs) That being said, let's go ahead. We're going to crack into the DMS here, which is always dangerous. Uh, But I, I put it to the, Instagram faithful to see what they had to ask you and I. So we're going to go with, there's a couple of them. I, I, a couple of them. I don't, I don't know how we can answer them, but we'll see. So the first one says politics and police work. How can this negatively slash positively affect your partnerships? I don't know that it can ever positively affect any partnerships. I, I detest it. I, I've been one of those people, even as a young officer, I've never put, and again, I, I, I work in a small agency uh, I've never put a political, I take that back one time. One of the guys on the police department was actually running for something way back when. Um, and my FOP was like, Hey, come on, everybody's putting a sign up and this is our guy. And 
no disrespect to that guy, but it was the worst decision I ever made. And I, I never did it before that. And I'd never do it again. It is a necessary evil, but not one. I, I, I can't deal with it. Um, I'm very short on, on, um, on subtlety. So it's never, it's never been something I've been good at. Right. Right. Other I, guys are, but not me talking about the community relations and things like that. I was at the point with my agency where I was, again, I'm the friendly guy. I like to talk to people. So I was always in the community, like commission meetings. I was always just the guy to try to keep order in the, in the lobby or whatever it would be. Should there be a controversial issue coming up, which is fine. And, when there was like a PR complaint coming up when I worked for a certain unit and Oh, the um, commissioner's business, there's, there's, they're having some issues around there. Can you go make contact with the commissioner? I hated that. I just talking to a commissioner, having them mm-hmm. either like lie to my teeth through their teeth or just condescend to me. I hated it. Couldn't do it. So I, I agree. I, I, it's hard because politics is, you know, trying to, make everyone happy basically, or at least on the surface mm-hmm. of it. So, you know, whatever they're going to say to you is, is you got to take it literally at face value. So I don't know if there can be a positive one, but every once in a while, who knows, maybe you will find someone that you can tie your, well, uh, I think that you know, sometimes you have a, 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 a period in, in your community, your city, whatever, where the politics is in the, in favor of the police mm-hmm. department, as far as, you know, these guys want to get you raises and they're supportive of the police. But I think you also have to remember that just because these people like this is, you, you go on Facebook or any of the social media and you'll see people defend the police. And right away, the, you know, other side will be like, Oh, you're a bootlicker and you're a, mm-hmm. you know, you just defend the police blindly. And I, I hate to say this, another controversial thing, but this is the truth. A lot of um, the people that support the police do support us blindly because they believe that we are everything we're supposed to be. Right. And a lot of us don't live up to that. That's a fact. Yeah. I and so then I start feeling bad for those people who defend us even when we're wrong, because there's a lot of times I look at it and I go, no, that's messed up. That's wrong. And I will see these people back to blue. I got your six. And it's like, you shouldn't though. Not, not and shame issue. on us. Yeah. Shame, shame on us for putting those people because they're, they're just ignorant. They don't know yeah. ignorant. And that's, I'm using the term like that, right? They don't know. Mm-hmm. They're assuming we did right. And somebody else is trying to color what we did wrong, but sometimes we did wrong. Yeah. And this is the time where, it's 2022. We have to step up and acknowledge what we did wrong, no matter the consequence, yeah. because well, the, the ultimate consequence is we lose those people. Right. And when we've lost those people, it's over. Yeah. Then, then you deal with what we've dealt with for the past several years. And again, it's, it's violating the peeling principles as far as losing pub, public trust. And it's, see, are we going to get a Robert Peel tattoo? I think we should. I think we should. <laughs> I definitely think we should. All right. Next one. The Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department federally charged the cop killer. Should we start bypassing locals, local prosecutors for the feds? Well, I mean, I don't know that we have the opportunity right. to make that decision. Yeah. As a, that's know. exactly what I was going to say. I think, you know, unfortunately, that's where jurisdictional lines and, you know, the federal courts. I don't know if that's really. Do you know the case they're talking about? No. Uh, in L.A., no, there was a an officer. I think he was off duty and his he and his wife or fiance they were looking at apartments or houses and he got carjacked and and shot by three gang members Mm. um Mm -hmm. i think that is going federally because they're gang members that's why they're escalating because the local prosecutor wasn't going to 
go with that. Well, go ahead. In my experience, when the the U.S. Attorney's Office on the, in the federal system, it, it dep- these these trends happen, right? So for a while, it's like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna crack down on people selling crack, or we're gonna now it's we have a heroin initiative, and any any cases that have are related to heroin, bring those to us, no matter how small they are, because that's what right now we're focused on. And at times, gangs are you know because of that gang uh, element to the case it's a sexier case yeah, yeah, and it's something that can move into this uh, where, where a, a U.S. attorney go, Oh, you know what? I'll take that one. I'll take that one because it's, a, it's, it looks good, right? right. There's all and these other this one, elements at play. This one was so high profile. So I'm sure that that made right. it that much juicier. So on your day to day, you know, dope cases or whatever cases may be, don't expect it just to go up to the federal court. Cause that's not how court system works. It's just not. Well, I don't know how Florida is, but I could tell you in Indiana, especially in my County, there's times where uh, with drug cases, you could get more, you're going to get more time in a state case, mm-hmm. in, you know, in this, yeah. if, if they get convicted in the state, then, than they would in, in, a, in a federal system anyway. And uh, you don't want to go to state prison. So if you, you know that, I, if I'm a bad guy, I'm like, I, I take my, I'll take <laughs> I'll my take chances federal, in a federal yeah. prison. I think, I think <laughs> right. everyone's, it's almost like a CSI effect where people hear feds and they think that's like the top notch. Right. Like that's the best. Right. Not necessarily. No, you gotta go to our state, state, uh, state correctional facility. You'll, you'll be rudely awakened. I mean, they're, they're giving guys thousand dollar motorcycle or dirt bike tickets. So I, mean, oh, they, I don't mess around in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, the next one. Uh, being proactive in a rural slash non-population jurisdiction, basically an always dead night. I guess he wants some tips. Do you live in a very rural situation uh, area? No, no. You no. just live in like a small no. town. No, so I'm like, yeah, I'm like, so I'm 25 minutes from downtown Chicago, uh, but I'm on the Indiana side of the border. So we have all these little smaller towns that should be, in reality, should be a larger metropolitan police department. But it's just they're separated mm-hmm. into these smaller towns, and on the Illinois side, they're called villages, but they're they're very densely populated. Gotcha, for sure. So, no. but I there are rural areas within uh, fifteen minutes of me, south of me, but not where not up here. Gotcha. Hold so that I know for you, you're like that's not that sounds pretty close. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But <laughs> so I've got two people that I will kind of um, recommend you to. Uh, cause I've, I've worked in a big city and I work in a small, like suburb, so I can't help you, but Kevin Malone, he was on the episode. Uh, he's been on, he was on my leadership episode and he was on an episode last year. He's a, um, the number two for a sheriff's office in rural Nevada. So you definitely want to talk to him. Moto medic mm. 11. That's his name. And yes, uh, Dave said Logan Campbell, who's formerly officer Campbell one, eight, two, he is now Little Hollow Life. That's where you can find him. Little Hollow, because I guess that's what Logan means in, in Irish, right. Irish or whatever. Uh, Scottish, maybe. So those are the two that I would recommend go talk to, because they might be able to give you some information about policing in rural communities. I grew up in a rural community, and I don't know what they did. I think they just kind of went to where the bar was and waited for people to leave, and they would get their DUI for the night and have a good day. I think that's it. My buddy Mike who he is a big fan of the Hey My Man uh, show, big fan of you and Ben. He wants to know, what's your favorite music to patrol to? Oh, me? Uh, I would, like my favorite specific band, I couldn't tell you, but I would say I could, sometimes I like to listen to Scott, like traditional first wave Scott. Mm-hmm. 
uh, in the morning, like first thing in the morning. Yeah. But I will listen to like New York, like straight edge or hardcore. I'll 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 listen to Wu Tang. <laughs> yeah. I, I and anything that normal people would go like that that doesn't sound like it should be coming out of a police car. Yeah. Uh, that's what I like listening nice. to. I. Uh, you know, body cameras killed me because I would listen to like some old school Eminem, like his really gritty and just dirty mm-hmm. stuff. And I'd be like, ah, oh, my body camera's on and he's saying kill you. And uh, yeah, I don't, <laughs> but things like that. Um, See, I'm new to body cameras because now we didn't have them when oh, I left patrol okay. and now I'll be wearing a body camera. So this is, gonna I've, be, I never had a problem with it. I had it since the beginning. So it wasn't like I had to break old habits, but it was usually either my phone or my music that would always catch me in like, oops land but like you were scrolling through your phone and like oops i forgot i have a camera on. yeah or like it would like it would catch like i was waiting for something and i'd be like oh scroll 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 and it would just pick up like the end i was like oh maybe they shouldn't <laughs> see that i'm on snapchat on this scene yeah. you learn tricks of the trade though you figured that out yeah um i used to listen it depends on my my night i didn't like listening to podcasts or books while i was working because I couldn't focus because I, I was working. Mm-hmm. Um, so I liked listening to music that I could, that I could walk away from or like turn down and I wouldn't miss something I wanted to listen to. So very easy listening, like not. Well, when I worked midnights, I used to love to listen to uh love line with Adam. Oh Cole yeah. And Dr. Okay. Drew. okay. I, uh, uh, it was great. Loved it. I listened. So I would, as the nights went on and if we did have a slow night, that's when I would dig into some podcasts i definitely listened to a couple of hey my man's in that but no i got yelled at by a squad mate one of my zone partners for listening to johnny cash on duty because <laughs> he was like dude don't listen to johnny cash i was like why it's it's good and he goes no because johnny cash just talks about people dying and things like that you're you're gearing us up for a bad night sure enough we had like seven dead bodies that night and just different things <laughs> never again listen to johnny cash on duty so don't listen to johnny cash i can tell you what i won't listen to i won't listen to red hot chili peppers five <laughs> finger death is a five finger death yeah, punch yeah. or or, or uh, dropkick murphys okay no okay not going to happen really not drop dropkick doesn't make your list no i used to be a dropkick murphys person way back in the day but i just like so many of those like celtic slash yeah, punk yeah. bands uh it's just no okay I can't fair enough um I'm not a, I'm not a five finger guy either. Someone just talked to me about some five finger. I'm not, it's, it doesn't, I like that genre, you know, that kind of like kind mm. of gr- heavier grunge. Maybe I like that, like uh breaking Benjamin and those kind of bands, but I never can do five finger. Um, this person, I say person cause I can't tell if it's a guy or a girl in the picture uh, says favorite slash memorable CIT or it says Baker act, which is like a mental health run in florida mm-hmm. do you have any funny or memorable mental health the guy stories? that pooped in his pants that's pretty good should have waited so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good do i have any good ones oh the other thing when we were talking about like the naked cowboy the naked, oh geez that, that's gonna give away some things though but yeah oh. <laughs> yeah um <laughs> or well he wasn't crazy he was just high um <laughs> No, but when we were talking about how, you know, when the lady calls about her trash can getting pushed over, you got to treat it like same mm-hmm. thing with if you get a crazy lady who says, oh, there's there's goblins in my air duct. Oh, yeah. Humor yeah. her, you know, yeah. like, oh, right. no, don't, don't right. worry, Dolores. They're, they're not here today. Don't worry. We took care of them. Uh, you should be mm-hmm. good for another week. This oh, this ties right into what you were saying earlier. What is the most useful thing learned not from your FTO? Hmm, that's a good one. Useful thing learned not from FTO. I I would say uh, go ahead. You no, go. no, no. Mine, mine was going to be okay. a joke. Go ahead. No, I, my, I would say co- is is to uh, to collect as many memorable moments as you can on the job, and 
understand that uh, I feel like every single one of us should be able to write uh, a great Fargo style movie mm-hmm. or amazing book. We're, we're living the dream. Um, and every single day you're out there doing something different. I, it seems mundane to you, but imagine all these other people that go, I've done those other jobs where I've gone to an office or like I said, ran a CNC machine or painted houses. And I could say for sure, I knew one thing uh, while doing those jobs is I never wanted to continue doing those, Yeah, but I've lasted, you know, almost uh, starting my 22nd year in this one. So that's, that's uh, got to count for something. Absolutely. Every, I know I had this, this old, old cat in, in my Academy. He was, he was an instructor and he was telling, he wrote a book. He wrote a police book about all of his stories. I didn't, I didn't buy it, but literally you could, you could write a book. You could write about a book about everything mm. you've seen. And, and even in a smaller career like mine, still so many stories. So I, I would agree with that I was going to say to pee when you can, not when you have to. That's so <laughs> yeah, important. Exactly. So that, that's something that I learned, not in FTO. This one says, this just says work ethic. It's not the same with this generation. I, I can't speak to it. So what would you say? Um, I don't know. I just think people are focused on different things. Um, my work ethic, I saw, I learned from my grandparents and watching my parents. My dad owned his own business. My mom was a real estate agent uh, while I was growing up. So she's like an independent contractor. It's all about that hustle. Mm-hmm. So I learned it from watching. My parents could have told me whatever until, you know, I, I was... A, a stupid teenager too, who didn't want to go to work and didn't want to do this and that. And it's not about what you say. Um, it's about actions. And when you see people doing it, that's the stuff that gets imprinted. You don't realize it's happening until it's too late. I'm probably, in my opinion, one of the most dedicated employees that's ever been uh, worked for the agency. Uh, I'm not saying I'm the most liked, but I'm the most dedicated. You know, I show up a half hour to 45 minutes early to work every single shift I've ever worked. I ironed my uniform every single day before I worked until we went to these now uniforms that are like, they're they're like permanently pressed yeah. with the pleats mm-hmm. already sewn mm-hmm. into them or whatever. Um, because uh, I wanted to have all my case. I wanted to know what my cases were before I hit the street. I didn't want to come in there and already try to play catch up. Uh, and it's something that it's my A-type personality. I'm a Capricorn. I, I'll call it what it is. I don't think you could say generationally that, you know, that's just, it's yeah. this generation. Yeah. It's definitely, I, I it's definitely that. person by person because, you know, I'm, I'm of the millennial generation, but I grew up with my dad's 1942 work ethic. Like, you know, he was, right. and he was a, a kid of the depression. Like his, I mean, his grandfather, I mean, my grandfather, his dad from the depression. So that's just how I was raised. So it's, it, it is, it's person by person. I've always burnt the candle at both ends. I, I always like getting there early, which another thing, one of the first training days I ever had, I got there on time and the sergeant that was teaching us that day read me the riot act, you know, with, you know, if you're on time, you're late, blah, 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 blah that old school mentality. And that just kind of has always mm-hmm. been my thing. So I agree. And then, yes, I don't like playing catch up. I don't like feeling late, like that anxiety that comes from feeling late. So it's on a person to person basis. One thing, one thing I learned when I was, uh, I, this really got pounded into my head when I was at the uh, task force is you, wh- what guys, what people that have never done in narcotics investigations, like long-term uh, stuff may not realize is it's not just about ordering up dope and buying dope because what real dope dealers do is they do what's called pre-surveillance. So you'd say, Hey, here's the meat spot. If they're good, they're going, or they're sending someone else there a half hour, an hour prior to the meet to see who's coming around. 
And so you know that. And guess what? You got to go there two hours before. Mm, yeah. Because you got to beat them to see who's, you know, what kind of pre-surveillance is yeah, going on. Yeah, what kind on. of scouts they And got. you get in this mindset. When, when, you're, when you work, uh, when you have the opportunity to work like T3s, when you work wires and you're, you know what's going on, they don't know you know. Um, I don't know. I think it sort of like poisons your brain a little bit where you just are like, everyone's watching me because you watch so many people without them having a clue you're watching yeah, them. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I'm, I take a different route home every day. My, my wife and my, my kids so annoyed with me because I'm like, you got to change up. You got to change up mm-hmm. every day. You got to, you know, yeah. The, I, when Ben comes to my house, he walks in and I lock the door behind him when we're going to go to podcast. He's like, bro, we're going to be fine. And I'm like, I, this is the way it's always been. Mm-hmm. My dad grew up in the city of Chicago, literally locked everything down every time he passed through mm-hmm. a door. Yeah. Know? So I, um, so you talk about that. We did a narcotics buy. And every narcotics buy I was a part of, even a case agent or just a support unit, um, for the most part was successful. But we had one, the one that went sideways, and um, the the target wouldn't let the CI out because he figured that she was wired up. Blah 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 blah. We were like moments away from forcing entry, like it was it was almost a rescue situation. Mm. Eventually, he lets her out. We go back to the office, which was, you know, well, he, we heard on the bug him say that car is not supposed to be there. And it was our UC car that we were watching the house with. And so mm-hmm. it was me and my sergeant. He goes, shit. He's like, what do we do? Like, we can't just get up when she leaves. Like, we're going to have to sit here for an hour. And, and, you know, we were at a closed business, but he knew his area. He's like, that car is not supposed to be here. So eventually we left. We get to our office. We debrief and then uh, sends us home. So I go and I drive home. And I swear to you, I thought I was getting followed home. So I drove into my apartment complex. This car was taking every single turn I was. So I turned right out of my apartment complex. Like I made a wrong turn or whatever. That was, that was a scary situation. I was like, I'm about to, Mm -hmm. you know, eat some lead over this, this botch thing. (laughs) Uh, Next question is not a question at all. It comes from our friend, BC stand BC Sanders. He said he can't wait to hear this episode. Hopefully we uh, <laughs> lived up to it. When we talked about gangs, I knew his like his spidey sense was going because he's going to be on soon for that. Um, mm-hmm. He also said he, he sent in a lot of things. Uh, he goes, for departments, are federal task force positions worth the effort? Yeah. You just see a whole other side of things, you know, like and uh, working at a being at a task force, one of the alphabet task force you just have resources you wouldn't have Mm -hmm. and you learn to do things and you learn uh, a lot of these places are a lot more persnickety than like, you know, your, your County Mm -hmm. or your, your town. And so a perfect example of that is like we were talking about with, when you're doing drug buys, you know, we had a team of of our group, maybe like nine to 12 guys out there doing a, a, a drug deal, even on something small. And you'll see guys, you know, back in my own town, people, you, you, you calling up dope, uh, and then telling the bad guy like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm you have somebody call up dope and you try to stop this one car. Yeah, hoping that you're going to yeah, be able to stop yeah. it before. It. And, and, and so I always tell guys like, yeah, that that's, that's not how you should be doing things. Right. So you, once you learn the real way and you learn like why you do it the safe way and, uh, there's no going back. You can't unlearn. Yeah. It. Once you've seen the right way. Yep. I remember so, yes, we had a worth it. We had a target. Speaking of that, uh, we had a target we were trying to get. We just couldn't get. And uh, yeah, we called up my buddy that was working the road. He's like, "Hey, we need you to stop this car." And I was like, "He has no idea why he's start stopping this car. This could be very problematic." 
Uh, BC also wants to know why CIs and sources are important. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> in order to know what's really going on, you got to, I guess you have to be able to make uh, a trusted communication with the people who really know what's going on. Right. Right. Absolutely. That's your, that's your ear to the ground. Unless, I mean, right. if you, if you want to nowadays, if you, we had uh like burner cell phone or not burner cell phones, burner Facebook mm-hmm. accounts where you can kind of like integrate into the criminal element. But I always felt so unclean doing that. I would not make a good undercover. <laughs> I just did not like it. And then uh, one last for BC pros, if any, and cons of doing a private business to access promotions pros, if any, and cons of using a private business to access for promotions. Well, I think the pro is obviously that being a private business, you, you, what you think you're doing is you're, you're, you're leveling a playing field. You're bringing in somebody who knows nobody and has no political agenda, but, uh, I don't believe that really happens that way. Mm. So on the face of it, at least it looks clear. Right. Right. Um, Then there was you. And then the next one says, why is this new generation of cops, a bunch of crybabies? And I mean, pre COVID Mm -hmm. and defund. Does it end up by saying, I'm surprised. I thought it would say boots. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Again, I don't know that they are. Uh, I think that we're all crybabies. Cops are the biggest crybabies, all cops of all generations. And they're also unable to look at themselves and judge themselves uh, objectively, but they have no problem pointing their finger at every other person. That's spot on for sure. And the last, so that prob that, that guy is probably the biggest baby of all. Probably. Absolutely. He's probably the one complaining about having to take a car stop in the rain or something like that. Right. And the last one, uh, how do you divide your time? I feel like we're constantly being pulled by shifts, OT, family, extra training, et cetera. Um, so I, at this stage of the game, um, I have a 17-year-old and a 10-year-old. I divide my, I, I work and I give 1,000% during the hours I'm scheduled to work. And, uh, you know, when I'm on call, when I'm on call and, or the task force, um, I also am on the major crimes task force. So when I'm not at work, I'd like to say that I don't do work-related things, but that would also be a lie. Uh, I'm a bad time manager, and um, I am trying to get better at that. But I, I, I guess my love has become coaching ten-year-old softball. Okay, <laughs> so I, 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 I try to uh, immerse myself in uh, learning ten-year-old uh, softball. Nice, nice. I, I got to say this: the switch I've made from the road to dispatch has been amazing. I mean, I don't have, I do have extra training when I'm on duty. I I'm in training. Um, but the best part of that transition is I don't worry about cases. I don't worry about calls. I don't worry about whatever. Uh, I may have some old court cases coming up, but that's it. When I was on the road though, I was terrible at it. I was still an overtime whore. I was following my cases when I shouldn't have, um, always answering my work email off duty. So I was not, I was the quintessential bad boy for coming for separating work from home. That might be why I burnt out so quickly. Who knows? Well, this will blow everybody's mind in tw- almost 22 years or st- almost 21 years uh, completed. I probably worked two side jobs. Really? My entire career. Wow. Maybe a, a, a grant shift once or twice, not because I have money and not because my department or my area pays well um, and our pension's not great. But uh, just because I was like, hey, uh, I've given all I, I've, I can give, and now I have, to, uh, I have to have, I'm a person that 
I don't care about money. I want my personal time. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of times I won't even put in for overtime. I'll just take comp time, mm. you know, as much as see, I and yeah. that's, that's great advice. Cause I was not that way. My mindset was, Hey, I don't mind working two weeks straight, three weeks straight, because I know at the end of it, I will give myself a nice day off mm. or I will take a, a week vacation or whatever it might be. But it, it caught up to me super quick. So I would caution anybody doing my way. And then I would say, check out Dave's way. Cause that sounds, like I need time to uh, once a quarter, every quarter. So four times a year, I watch the wire in its entirety, starting with season two and ending with season one. Oh, That's the way you got to okay. do it. Like people eat Oreos differently. Yeah. And all you people out there who want to sleep on season two, you're wrong. If you start with season two, Mm. Uh, and you end with season one, I think you'll have a new appreciation. Season two of The Wire, the best season. So I still haven't finished the series because I'm on season two and I'm pushing through it. I'm pushing <laughs> through it. Um, that's interesting. I'm going to have to I'm gonna have to revisit that now that you, you've said that. Uh, Dave, this was awesome, dude. I think, uh, you know, we really talked about policing in and out. I think we kind of gave our opinions that may or may not matter, but hopefully people think about it and maybe want to interact and, and talk about it. Is there any closing thoughts or words you want to give anybody regarding this? Yeah. So I don't care if anybody buys any stickers from me or uh, adds me as a friend on Instagram or any of that kind of crap, but you do, you can reach me at uh, Hey, my man, Dave on uh, Instagram or the unit to back page or the Hey, my man podcast page. I just actually like to hear you know, anybody who either agrees with me or Viet, Viet me, whatever the word is, <laughs> or who staunchly disagrees with me, <laughs> who staunchly disagrees with me, come at me. But I, I, I feel like the more honest I've become in the last couple of months about, like I said, let's call a spade a spade. You know, when we're wrong, we're wrong. And we needed to be accountable for the way we were policing, the way we're policing a lot of people will come up on in my DMS and be like, thank you. I'm glad somebody saying it because it's just not right. You know, this whole thin blue line thing, people feel this responsibility to, to just at all costs, never be critical of our, our, our brothers and sisters in law enforcement. And that is the most ridiculous. Right. Shit I, I think ever. that that just adds to our detriment. I think, I so. think by, by being those blind, we're, by we being our own blind supporters of, of the thin blue line and all that stuff, that's where we kind of jam ourselves up. So I agree. And it all goes back to everything we said before about, you know, you won't have that problem if you, you know, obey the law that you enforce, as long as you keep your nose clean, yada, yada, yada. But of course that's not going to happen. We don't live in that kind of utopian, (laughs) but you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Dave, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for staying up. And uh, what time is it there? It's like 1030, right? Just 1030. Yep, 10.30. Okay, not too bad. Yep, I get to watch the second episode of Seinfeld uh, on TBS. Oh, there you go. Perfect. Thanks a lot, guys. And uh, everyone listening, stay tuned. We'll wrap it up. Did you know that in the years 2017 to 2018, the American obesity rate was over 42%? Did you further know that police officers are 25% more likely than the average American to die from obesity-related illnesses? These are diseases like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and high blood pressure. So what do we do? Do we continue to stay victims to shift work and terrible nutrition options while going call to call? Or do we do something about it? Well, I decided to do something about it, and that's why I started working with Nick Wall Nutrition. 
Nick is one of less than 100 professional nutritionists in the entire United Kingdom and has worked with many professional athletes from soccer, rugby, cricket, and even Team Great Britain. And all of his plans are backed by pure scientific evidence. Eating the foods you love and losing weight doing it. No fad diets, no pills, no powders, and no god-awful detox teas. Nick is the real deal and was named Nutrition Specialist of the Year for the year 2019 to 2020. Check him out on Instagram at NickWallNutrition or NickWallNutrition.com and join Nick's team and change your life. Do you know what I love more than talking about police stuff? Like, mostly everything. But! I am happy to announce, guys, that myself and my guest from this week, Dave, we are going to be embarking on talking about different things. We are going to be launching a new podcast for you guys to listen to. It's going to be in conjunction with this one. I'm not giving this one up yet. But, uh, yeah, we are going to be doing kind of a... It's going to be like part movie reviews, part bullshitting. If you guys were fans of the Hey My Man podcast and you're a fan of this, I think you guys will enjoy it. So go ahead and go like his pages, Unit to Back, Hey My Man Dave, the Hey My Man podcast, and keep your eyes peeled. We're going to have a new announcement up soon. That concludes today's episode, guys. Check me out next week where I will be talking to my buddy Jan from... Germany. That's right. We're going to be talking about policing in Germany. Hope you guys are taking care of each other. Stay safe. We'll talk to you next week. 10-8 out. And I am down, right, amazed at what I